Welcome back to the Sunken Treasures podcast, everyone. This is the first ever part two expansion pack building off last week's episode regarding Brave New World. So with us or suggested this Sunken Treasure today is our very own Daniel Knickerbocker. Tell us more, Daniel. <laughs> Daniel Knickerbocker. Sorry. <laughs> um, I feel like I'm like a weathercaster in both. Yeah. And we have some storms. No. Um, I love this book and I'm so excited that it like got a part two. I sort of felt like some type of odd validation that everybody loved it as much as I do. Um, there's so much in it. So this is a book that was like, when was it written? 1931. 31. Okay. Yeah. Um, so this is a book that was written in 1931 by Aldous Huxley and it's so prophetic in such an incredible way. And so the book follows the character of Bernard and he is living in a dystopian society in which the family unit and God have essentially been abolished and replaced with the government that now decants humans and assigns them to a particular caste. And everybody is conditioned at birth to be quite happy with who they are and not desire to go up or down a level. They are maintained on a drug called Soma. And um, part of their conditioning is that whenever they feel the least bit uneasy, they take Soma, they encourage each other to do it. There's no natural reproduction. And so they're all on massive doses of contraceptives and cavorting, you know, however they choose. Um, Monogamy is discouraged. And it's a very kind of interesting setup in which people are pacified and don't ever have a sense of longing or ambition. And so it's very well orchestrated. And they've replaced God with Henry Ford, um, master of the assembly line. And so we follow this character of Bernard, who's somewhat uneasy about the whole thing and really wants to have more of an authentic experience. Part of what he does is he visits a reservation where they have sort of rounded up the savages when they created the new society. So anybody who had had a family unit was then, you know, put in these particular reservations and on the reservation, he meets John and Linda. Linda was actually from the, I don't know, what do they call it? What kind of society? I don't know. The like the city or something. The civilized society um, and had gotten lost on a trip and then was stuck with the savages and she was pregnant. She didn't know she was pregnant, but she was pregnant when she got there. And so she had John, who is, you know, also feeling like not quite a savage and not quite. And that's his only option. So he's not able to integrate into society. So we followed these two characters and their struggle. And so Bernard brings them back to to the civilized society. And then we followed the death of Linda and um, the struggle of John to fit in and the um, sort of just the whole thing kind of unravels for our central characters and that they're, they're not able to just continue to swallow the pill, so to speak. Um, I think that, that's what I've got. I love that. Swallow the pill. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, and we do know that they're located in London. Right. I forgot about that. Yeah. But it's essentially- always the British, I tell you. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's always them. 
it's really the time period that never ceases to surprise me. Like 1931, like it's like that he sort of predicted in vitro fertilization, which I think I remember in high school being like, what? Like, how did somebody this long ago understand? Like, we're not quite there. Like, obviously, we're still doing surrogacy and, and, you know, like people carrying babies. But this idea of sort of choosing, you can choose if you want a boy or a girl embryo, Mm -hmm. make sure it's genetically sound. Like, the IVF process has become quite clean and curated. Um, And the fact that he sort of saw some of this coming is really fascinating. It's some gene editing level stuff almost, but they do it by means of chemicals and whatnot. Absolutely. Like, you can choose your child's hair color. That's wild. But I I was going to say, like, this this week I found... I don't know if it's not not a documentary. It's just a series. Uh, It's on YouTube, as far as I know. It's called... Uh, what's the name really quickly it's by Steven Spielberg not Steven Spielberg uh, James Cameron he's like the host and it's about this fiction it's about fiction it's called oh here it is it's called James Cameron's story of science fiction and there's a few episodes maybe five and it's just him talking to other directors and actors and writers about fiction right like the role of fiction and uh in a way, like um, part of what I was listening to in that first episode that I saw is the role of fiction, and in this case, for example, this dystopian novel, to not predict, but to get a glance at potential future, right? It's not, it's not that it predicts, it's not that fiction predicts what's going to happen, but for sure gives you a vision into how given certain assumptions or certain setups in the world and certain beliefs and certain things that are just, you know, accepted, a world can look like, right? And that's somehow what I've been thinking a lot about so, with Brave New World, you know? I'm gonna, I mean, I love James Cameron. He's so over the top. Um, I'm going to call a little bit of BS <laughs> on him because Faulkner, um, in his Nobel Prize, accepting speech gave a whole speech called the author as prophet Mm. um, and like addressed exactly what you're saying that there's this role to sort of paint what you feel like might be coming um yeah and 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 i guess it's also the surprise of it right like i i was reading that huskley didn't really think this was going to be such a thing to talk about right like after he wrote brave new world but the more he started digging into, you know, research in psychology and all this research about mind control and all the advancements of things. Like, he got very surprised about the advancements of technology after he wrote Brave New World of, like, wow, this is actually possible. Like, we're not that far and it's not as dystopian. You know, this dystopian world may not be as far from reality uh, than he thought when he was writing, when he was writing the book. Well, I guess one part that sticks out to me is like maybe a good bridge from last episode was kind of the influence of Shakespeare Hmm. during this time. And like, you know, Brave New World, the title itself is Shakespearean. Um, And it's almost like an emotional leverage or it's used like a tool in this society as a means to feel something, right? Like Bernard reads, I think, like, Romeo and Juliet after the dinner party. 
I don't know. Yeah. Well, I we think can... this idea of like tragedy being something that is that you want to partake of, right? The the Brave New World Society goes out of their way so that nobody feels sadness or tension. And I think so much of what Shakespeare dove into was that particular part of the human experience, this tragedy, this like overwhelming, like, you know, here's the comedies and the tragedies and the sonnets and the tragedies are like disastrous. I mean, we talked about this a little bit with, um, I know I'm going to forget the name, the movie that Vicat suggested. Um, Hader. Was, like, Hader. Yeah. Hader. That was the Hamlet sort of analog that like everybody dies. Right. And it's in this like, unraveling of like the worst parts of like the human experience sort of just compound on one another. And, and it is really interesting that we are drawn to that type of entertainment. Like there's a part of us that wants to see, you know, especially like action movies. Now I think, you know, do a little bit like fill that sort of like, I don't know what that thing is, but they definitely went out of their way to get rid of it in their society. This sort of desire to see something. It's like the spectator. Um, um, yeah. Desire to see what kind of thing you mean, like a coliseum kind of action-packed kind of thing? Yeah, me, yes, and well, I mean, yeah, actually, now that you say it like that, but also like you know, right now we have this thing that happens on you know social media. We tend to like build people up and then like try to like yank the, the like the Justin Bieber, Miley Cyrus shit. Like, right? We like love to watch like the rug get yanked out from under them and like have people like flail, and we want to get. Everybody wants to see when they get pulled over for drunk driving or do something completely like ridiculous, that there's this sort of weird desire for people to see other people doing not so well. For sure. Yeah. I've never, I've never thought of it like that. The whole canceling thing of destroying people's lives for not being good enough. That may be us or form of Coliseum where we can tear other Mm -hmm. people apart and enjoy watching their destruction and like that image. feeling some gratification for destroying others in that form of symbolic way. Yeah, like the way you use Colosseum. Like. like like at least at least with the cancel culture, at least the ones doing it, maybe they feel some sort of, you know, righteousness or you know, it's it's misplaced. But but then but the in point some cases. Daniel made about Yeah, I I'm, I'm, I'm not supporting them. I'll I'll finish the point. So but when you feel good when a celebrity, you know, just gets pulled over, like does something very weird, that isn't even, it's not even like you think you're supporting society or getting rid of like a sex offender or whatever, right? It's, it's, a, it's on a whole different level. Like you don't even, you're not even fooling yourself thinking that you're doing something there's good. like a it's just... fascination, right? It's like why <laughs> so many traffic jams are because there's a, accident in the other side that people are slowing down to try to see yeah. what the extent of the carnage is like there's actually yeah, nothing right. in like the northbound lane that's wrong but the southbound lane has a giant wreck and people are like whoa I wonder if I can see, like, that's what we call it. yeah yeah exactly <laughs> but like you know it's it's sort of a a weird thing and we're in you know quite a safe place often I, I've only been to one professional like um American football game and it was quite a like we sat in like the suites you know where the people like bring food to it was a friend of ours brought us but it had such a gladiator like feeling to me like you're like in this very cushy place looking down at these people that are potentially going to break their necks like let's be honest like so busy you know 
and like you're consuming all the products. Can I have Pepsi? Can I have like all the things? You know, and then it's just so it was so weird to me. And I was like, this is awful. Like no one <laughs> My mom used to like, say the phrase, there's nothing new underneath the sun. And this is like a great example of just like how far have we really come like, with all of our technology and all of our brains, like we're still watching well, years. So yeah. I, I would still say that we are we have It's hard to say. Slowly but surely we right. are cleaning up sports to some extent. You know, we give them helmets now and some form of padding and you know This is an so interesting point. <laughs> Uh, I just want to like I'll make sure to circle back to because it does deviate a little bit, but I'll bring it back. Um, like just like kind of the over medication that's going on. Um, a recent topic that keeps popping up is like adult ADHD or like specifically for women are being diagnosed in later life because the understanding of ADHD has changed significantly. But like kind of also taking into consideration like we haven't had that much time to actually evolve away from hunter gatherer like in the grand scheme of like our human history right like we've we're only experiencing like a couple hundred thousand you know of evolution which isn't that much and then put that in perspective with like geological time that's really not that much but anyways um what we're experiencing is like adhd is like really just the remnants of like survival instincts being aware looking around like what's am i hunting or am i being hunted <laughs> right um but we're seeing this over medication of course in brave new worlds and we briefly touched on i would love to get back to like the hip, is it hypnopedia pedia hypnopedia where they use the the recording of you know each cast's priorities and specifications and you know really grooming these these classes of humans but you know it's not so far from we briefly touched on like our screens your screen time and the sense of like alpha waves being active when you're looking at a screen these are like similar commonalities of like to an extent like brainwashing um certainly in brave new world they're actively brainwashing right they're at least owning it (laughs) yeah and and also, this is a good point to segue into the, the the idea of talking of soma. This is one. This is one of the things I was like, oh, thank God, there's a part two. We'll get to bring this up. I don't know if I like. There is a lot of connection. Okay, I wouldn't say a lot. I I assume there might be a lot of connection to Indian history, but one part where there is like a very definite connection is the very word soma. Somaras is like is talked of as a nectar in uh, Hindu holy books that angels consume to get like a lot of strength or gain immortality or you know so it's something that is treasured by the angels and, or devas as the Hindu myth would put it so they consume God's it meat to gain whatever yeah whatever whatever their uh, superhuman abilities are and and depending on which version you read it. There are different things they get by consuming that. So it it really can't be a coincidence that I I tried to find like if if it's related, but I couldn't get any like valid source. But it it could very well be uh, uh, a connection to that because we also know that Alice Huxley later was very involved in the Vedanta movement and whatnot, which is a which is a Hindu cult thing, which which was based in the United States if I'm not wrong. It it was it it was not within India. It is like an Indian guru, but he's he's set up outside. I believe it was much like uh, 
much like Osho and others. Okay. Do you know more so, about that history? Because it's really curious, like how that could have influenced this book for for all this. Yeah. Um. Anything else would be pure extrapolation, but just the word soma, I could, I could, I can specifically say, uh, is very. It, it can't be a coincidence that there is a nectar and then it makes you be cheerful and live a long life and all of that. And it's called the exact same thing when we know this man was very involved in Indian thought. But but otherwise, the connection I wanted to make is not that is not necessarily that Aldous Huxley directly derived it from there. But the specific use of the word caste caste is very much and very deeply an Indian concept. I don't know where the word comes from and whatever, but like in the most solid form, you can find it in Indian history and something that plays a role to this day. And the way it works is that, I mean, it's much, it's much more complex than this, but, and even I am not that well versed, but in the most basic form, the idea is that you have a so-called duty given to you based on what your caste is. And broadly, there are the Brahmins, the Kshatriyas, the Vaishyas and the Sudras. And the Brahmins usually take up anything that is related to spirituality, prayer, they are the priests and they are the teachers. So basic, basically they control knowledge. They control knowledge, they are the ones who can read, they are the ones who control how education, I mean at least that was the idea, not anymore, uh, how education is imparted and all of that. So they had a lot of control over that. Kshatriyas were the people who had the strength, they, they were the defenders and they were the kings and blah blah blah. They were the, they hold power through power. And and then there's the Vaishyas, the trader class and farmers and that kind of stuff. And then, so with the Sudra thing, I'm not very sure. But after you go down below Vaishyas, you start getting all sorts of things you wouldn't want to do, right? Like clearing out sewage and whatever are considered uh, professions that are not so glamorous. Uh, they are subject to, to those professions. And what started happening is that the, the top caste that I talked about, different branches of like the Brahmin, Kshatriyas and Vaishyas, and also uh, they started becoming what is now known as the upper caste. And then the others, and also people who lived in small communities and forest communities and all, all of that, they, uh, who belong to tribal communities, they all be, be, became marginal communities. So they are all backward caste, they're called scheduled tribes and all, all sorts of marginal communities. So the interesting thing is, what I wanted to talk about and what I wanted to bring up is the idea of social mobility. One of the scariest things to me that makes me shit myself is that there is no social <laughs> mobility in this world. Oh. You are born something and that is what you will be. They will ensure that well, even before they, your birth. Yeah? yeah. Just so they even get rid of the possibility of ambition, right? Through cognitive yeah. conditioning. So it's not even that you can't move because there's not an option, but they actually remove your choice in in considering it. Yeah. She, she, and, and also they're not even equipped, right? They're, it's, it, it's made sure that you do not have the ability to progress. And here's a, a, a thought experiment I want to throw out and, you know, make, you know, shit hit the fan in a moment. But... <laughs> So what scares me very much about this book is the lack of social mobility and then how they take the oxygen out, put certain chemicals in so that you're quote unquote stupid enough to just be as a gamma male or, you know, a gamma plus or however they uh, categorize the males. 
the interesting thing is the question I want to put forth and make many people pissed off. Wait, oh, wait, before before you go record, before but, you go to the question. Yes, please. So um so we spoke before about the importance of being grateful for what you have in life. As in, we, we spoke about happiness in one of our episodes and how to achieve happiness. Yeah. And we said that being grateful and satisfied with what you do have is a big part of being happy. I would say that artificially reducing people's desire to be more or to want more in a society may be Away, as in, I can see the connection between what they were doing in terms of using the sounds and saying, "Hey, I do, I don't want to be an alpha. Alphas have to work so hard. I don't want to be this." And they make them show them the advantages of being in the position that they are, and causing them to embrace that so that they don't they don't want more. And that brings about happiness. I can see why that leads to satisfaction. Then. In your present situation. But they're always at conflict, right? See, the people want to question, but then they're told by their friends, hey, don't don't say that out loud. It's not I that the mind has completely accepted it. It is something that is pushed down upon them and for lack of a better well, opportunity, they just say, yeah, I guess. And I think there's a difference. It's not that they've truly accepted it. Happiness and pacification because, you know, to like... I like the way Donovan used artificially influence this. Well, like, no, so like, if, that it's, I think I'm the only, I'm the only person here who has a child. Um, but like, we never, I never used a pacifier specifically because kids become like frantically addicted to it. It's like the gr- first great addiction is like, you know, in America, they call it like, the so big right? The like thing, right? I need this. And so we didn't, it was rough. And there were times where I was like, man, I should have, cause there's like a window where you can introduce it. And if you don't introduce it, they'll reject it after that window. And so I definitely had my moments where I wished we'd done it, but that doesn't actually make a child like feel soothed. Like they feel soothed, but it's like, oh, I have this thing that sort of represents, you know, like a mother's teat or, you know, whatever, like the thing is, but you're not actually, it's like a weird mind, you know? Um, That's where happiness is. Happiness is in the mind. That's all you have to fix. The reality doesn't see? matter. But when it's then it's linked to the thing. Because then if you end up with a kid that's upset and you don't have the thing, that kid is like inconsolable. It's not even that they can like cry it out Ooh. at that point. They're like it's, flailing. It's what, I think they, both can be true. Both of what y'all are saying. I don't think are necessarily in conflict. I think both Yeah. And and it's, it's also in like mind. in psychology, what's called the subject what's the name? Um the object of desire, right? Like mm. a lot of what is part of how we work, right? Is this desire that is never satisfied. And that's what it is. But something like going back to Vicky's point, I am finding it very interesting. I don't know if you guys have seen The Matrix, the second one. And if you recall the scene of Neo encountering the architect. And to me, now that I'm thinking about it, this version of Brave New World, this dystopia, Seems to me that it was one of the begin. Like I could see that this was one of the beginning, like the first version of the Matrix, right? Because if I recall correctly, in that conversation, the architect was like, "This is the seventh or fifth time that we've run the Matrix. Like you're not the first one." And a lot of what happened in the begin on the first versions of the Matrix is that they created a very utopian world, right? Like a world where humans didn't need to do anything or worry about anything. 
and it was complete chaos. And eventually, they discovered that the complexity of creating a good matrix had to do with choice. That's why I also think that it, you know the trilogy is brilliant because in a way there's some theories about like the humans not quite escaping like there's a matrix within the matrix like the actual horrible world of machines is another matrix right like like they're like that's part of the matrix itself because um, in right but but I guess that what I was wanting what I wanted to bring is the paradox of choice and how much number one choice in itself brings us to the anxiety, right? Like, this is why we have figures like God, right? Like because God gives you, it reduces you the stress and anxiety of choosing stuff. But at the same time, not having to choose stuff is problematic, right? This is why we have a character like Bernard in the first place. Like, the whole point of the book, or the whole tension of the book, is having a character that doesn't quite fit to all the given stuff. And that's the whole point of, I guess, these fictional and dystopian pieces of work, you know, like The Matrix and other, other dystopian novels, right? Like the paradox of, of choosing. And I guess that really speaks about the existential aspect of being human beings, right? Um, in, in the brave new world, what choices are people offered, though? Where do they get to choose? Well, they don't get to choose. That's the whole point. Like, the whole point of why Bernard and his friend really feel like they are not fitting in is because they are drawn to try to think, and to think is to choose, I will say. Soma is the tool to maintain people, to to make people not think. That's what they're trying to do, right? Like, like the less question. they think... Right. Like, yeah. the moment you start doubting and needing to choose that's when anxiety comes and all this feeling comes to you yeah, and it's like don't feel anything <laughs> take the pill you know like stupefied you know, we touched on this last time with like the social media conundrum of like friends on social media versus like people you can actually call when there's a crisis and i think part of what the brave new world does is give this odd facade right like there's no monogamy And so in some weird way, like that seems like you get to choose more, but you actually don't ever get to choose. You don't ever mm. get to find a person that you right. want to like particularly feel like you want to have all these experiences with. But on the surface, it looks more like there's more freedom because you don't ever, you're not ever strapped to somebody. Um, and so I think, and with like having all this, this very surface network, you know, we all belong to each other, but like actually none of us, truly belongs to ourselves like, then we don't belong to ourselves right. oh um, gosh and if i can add one more yeah. layer sorry go ahead oh i was just gonna say i love the way you kind of turn to that perception on its head like you think you have choice you're deceived by the choices that you're being offered as not as you know just as, it's basically kind of like setting the agenda you can only operate within these means so do you really have choice like Yeah, super interesting. Yeah, and oh, I just wanted to bring it yeah. back so to like. I've, oh, I apologize. <laughs> no, that's okay. No, um, so I've always argued. So, for example, let's say that, let's say that there's a child, and uh, this child refuses to share something, and a parent comes and says, 
hey, your friend wants some of that candy. Share your candy. And makes that child share. I don't think that child is really... That doesn't make the child into a kinder person. Like, you can't, you can't enforce morality then. If you make me do something, it doesn't Agreed. mean that... So I'll just and come out and say, I agree. Supporting that Donovan, there's a whole book called you don't have to share for parents because it's, it's crap. Like that you have to share thing is crap. I mean, okay. and, and just, just think like, just to that point that you're making Donovan, like, this is why we don't like selling, like to be sold anything, right? Like this is why marketing is about like make the person think they're making the choice. Right. Like, because this is what we want. Like, as you're saying, like if the, if you tell the kid and enforce something upon the kid and be like oh yeah you go and share that the kid's gonna rebel every time even us it doesn't have to be a kid like the moment somebody tells you I'm, to me right like you do go and do that it's like no you know i'm gonna do the opposite well, of that i would say that there's a slight difference because with the child the parent is making them do something right when you're being sold something you're being offered that thing i mean there's a whole design behind it right like people are really smart on even now, like the sophistication of of marketing persuasion. strategy of persuasion is becoming even more subtle with all this technology, right? Like you think you're making the choice, but so in reality, it's not. So the thing is that there is a a line between persuasion and manipulation. Mm. So, for example, yes. me speaking with a female and trying to, to explain to her why I'm the best person who she should be with. Right. There's, a, there's some persuasion that comes I believe, there. I believe you are. I no, you are. If, if I know I'm a toxic person, I guess... Listen, manipulation is whenever you're trying to persuade someone for negative reasons. I, w- I do want to push back if, if a little is, bit, because that word can be used in other means that aren't so nefarious, but yes, for these purposes, I think there are... Okay significant connotations that are negative it's about it's about trying to persuade someone to do something that's not in their best interest but in someone else's or your best interest you understand so let's say i'm trying to sell you a car that i know is not great but i'm telling you that this car is great and that's i mean well, isn't persuasion a type you know? of manipulation though it's it's a it's a it's a very thin line you know like even back in the greeks when talking about rhetoric that was the whole problem with rhetoric like people sophistry was the opposite right it was using rhetoric for specific means rather than just using rhetoric to approach truth so i guess i will that's where i will draw the line like are you we pursuing truth or are we pursuing selling something good so so that's where selling and manipulation persuasion and manipulation i think there's a there's a line somewhere there but the word, I don't know, like the entomology, I feel like, of manipulation does have roots in just moving or even changing some kind of material matter, right? Like operating or yeah. controlling. Um, they but have manipulatives course, in math that just means like you move the thing and it represents right. the conceptual problem. I think another word to consider is, you know, the articulation and like... That too can have more of a tactile presence, but like to articulate oneself, of course, is also so like with verbal expression. Um, and when we articulate in a way, we can be persuade, persuasive. I don't know. That's an interesting conversation. I guess we don't really want to debate etymology, yeah. but is it are they controlling morality in Brave New World? Yeah, choice. I think. And so here's like 
you know, we could, this book seems so radical, right? So like out there, but as we've already talked, like the progress, the progress, I'll put that in like air quotes, um, that we've made since the 30s, we've actually like are progressing towards this future, not, you know, against it. And I will say, especially now looking at children and how they are, you know, have so many children have tablets like right in front of them to like, they get the hit so fast. It's like a child version of Soma and like all the processed food, right? Like it's just, it's so hard to, to not part. Like I've, I've tried it to like not participate in it and it is like ubiquitous and like woven everywhere. Um, And so I do think that there is a certain level of choice that is starting to be, like you have to be the crazy, you know, hippie, my kid only gets carob and honey and we live in this teepee, um, you know, kind of situation. It feels like sometimes if you're not going to just be mainstream, which is, it's so interesting in a business context, it's absolutely happening when you have like, you're overwhelmed by the number of choices. If I go into Walmart and I see whatever 30 different types of cereal, I don't know what kind of cereal I want to choose. So I places like uh, Trader Joe's and Aldi have been really successful in kind of limiting your choice so that you only buy a few things, but it's, it's, a, it's a psychology, right? Like, and I love that you, Danielle, that you acknowledge that you see part of this happening now, because that was one of the questions I wrote down was like, when do you like see to this extent or this severity of control happening or, you know, at least just the adoption of technology and civility? Well, I think what's really interesting is, and this, you know, I think that Huxley spoke to this a little bit and certainly is like that this is like government mandated in the book, right? They government mandate the IVF, they government mandate Mm -hmm. um, the SOMA. um, You don't have mothers, you don't have fathers, right? Right. And so what I think is really interesting is that we're sort of choosing that for ourselves, which is even a more slippery slope is that we're, we're choosing the checkout version. Like I'd rather like not work and not ask questions. And so how did we get to this place where we would rather have, you know, like I'm going to work my meh job and then come home and smoke some weed and watch some YouTube. And I'm going to call that good. That if, if the government were to suddenly implement SOMA, I don't think it would be amended. I think people would be lined up around the block. So you're there, saying they question. choose it. Oh, I just wanted to clarify because it kind of touches on something. Um, you're saying that like people choosing it, that's often expressed as like exposure to screens. You mentioned like TV, Netflix, like mm. we're kind of circling well, back and to like, designing their child, right? Like where did that come from? That I'm not just going to be like super grateful that, you know, we're having a baby, whatever, or like, oops, I'm pregnant, like any number of things. Now we have this very, like, I'm going to freeze my eggs. And then when I have my career where it is and I feel happy, I'm going to do this thing. And I want a boy. And like this, this part of it. for diseases. Right. I don't want any type of, you know, we'll do a karyotype at week, blah, blah, blah. And if it looks bad, I'm going to call it. Or it's a close border with eugenics, honestly. But that's a whole bad, other conversation. I mean, I there are a lot of, we, we, had, we had counseling because I was 37 when I had Monty. And, and so when we got our, our genetics, you know, he said, do you want to do you want to test the DNA? And my first thought was no, I'm going to carry this pregnancy regardless. So like, no, but there are some genetic 
um, malformations, some some DN like um, trisomies that cause you to carry the baby to term, but it's not viable. Um, and so he said, you might just want to like have some support on board if that's what's going on. Not that you would necessarily abort, but that you might want to put some things in place for you mm. to know that this is your journey. Um, and, but then like, that's one way to use that technology. Another way is to say, this isn't what I wanted, cut it, you know, let's abort it right. and try again. Um, or I'm just going to like not even go the natural route at all. And they'll test all the embryos over here and it's really clean and I don't have to think about it. Um, like build and your own. Yeah, <laughs> and they'll choose the one, and we'll do that. So scary. There, there's this. And people spend th like thousands of dollars on on this process. Um, I sent this to Danielle the other day, like the video about technology. So, you know, I'm a very Heideggerian guy and super nerd on that guy, and he has a book that the moment I read it, the same question has haunted me until now. And it's the question regarding technology. And a lot of what he says, or what I can abstract from that, is that part of what his concern was is that technology, and not, I mean, he didn't experience digital technology. Like, he was just really going for, you know, technological advancements, like the, revol the Industrial Revolution and stuff like that. But he was saying, like, part of what it is is that it has the danger of leading people to a mis a self-misunderstanding of what it is, right? And I think it is central to all these dystopian stories that we hear or that, you know, every, every movie that I see or every novel that I read that is dystopian, uh, all of them have at its core this question of human... Right, it, it is like, it is a society of humans who do not longer understand what it means to be human, right? Or it, well, it is just, just not like see annotation. Sorry, did I interrupt you, Alejandro? No, 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 go ahead. Um, like cleanliness, right? Like keeping things very sanitary. Mm -hmm. There's like almost no asthma in third world countries. Like it's like doesn't exist because most of them are breastfed for like one to two years they have dirt on their floors we like tacos, not a big deal you know with grease from five five days yeah yeah dog yeah exactly the dog walks through like the dog like licks the food right exactly and and so like is it actually better to like formula feed and so you can work and then You know, like, make sure your child's, if the pacifier touches the ground, you have four others, so you can, like, let's not do that. And, no, don't let the dog lick him. That's gross. Um, and then you end up with, you know, these kids that are like, here's my list of allergies and my EpiPen. And, you know, I I can't, like, go anywhere because I'm allergic to the air. Uh -huh. um, We were definitely kids playing in the mud. <laughs> One thing I'll say to that, though, Daniel, that... Um, When I moved to Japan, I was shocked as to how many people had this asthma. I mean, whenever pollen season come around, like spring or whatever it is, like everyone is missing school all of a sudden. It was shocking to me. And, and another thing is that if you scold a child too hard, like so many of them, their nose starts bleeding. And I'm like, wait, they have like, papers of blood and i'm like Whoa. what the hell is happening but it happened 
I'm curious least, about pollution in the first point, though, because you're in Tokyo, right? No, I was in many different parts of Japan, really, not okay, not, not Tokyo, but I mean the overall what fragility. Fragility. That's it. I mean, even in sports. I mean, they, these people like. I mean, it's just different. It's different. Yeah. Yeah. And so when we look at like the rest, this might be a good segue to look at like, right, the curated society versus the reservation, right? They've decided the things that are beneficial to society. And, and, and one of them is like a dirt, like, no, we don't, we don't do that. So I think that it is, it is really interesting to look at when you go all in on one thing, right? You double down on like, let's get rid of this particular thing in our society. You think you know, like you should, but we just don't have a holistic appreciation of the world, of the, of the universe, of the like the mm. whole thing. We don't, and so you get rid of one thing. It's then you upset the balance, and you get to wait and see sort of what the other side of that is. Yeah, and it's usually never good. One thing I find particularly scary is the kind of. Daniel, you were noting on it, um, just like the disconnection of like individuals and their own bodies. Like they don't <laughs> really have, like, I think that's certainly something that we're experiencing in a way. Um, like, you know, understanding our bodies, it's always being filtered through like a Western trained doctor. It's more like, you know, I can't really understand it for myself. I need this intermediary to tell me how to feel about my body. And then, of course, I mean, to a larger aspect, like this whole experiment, experimentation taking place with social media and like how like social pressures influence, of course, like body image too. But in Brave New World, like it's, it, I think it is very much radical to imagine this place where you don't have a mother and father. Like that is well, a they terrifying don't, thought. Yeah. They don't talk about food. Um, which I find really mm. curious in this book. There's a couple mentions of like, they don't talk about like how food is managed, but the fact that they're all at an ideal weight um, and the, just the way that everything is sort of rationed in general makes me think that, that the food piece is actually quite curated as well. And so then also you take away that creativity, that authorship, that connection to where food comes from. And we're starting to see that in our world. I mean, not with the ideal weight piece, but this disconnection you get a granola bar and it's got like 27 ingredients. You might recognize three. And God, I love this point. And, because food and yet like granola everything. bar is like supposedly a healthy snack. And yeah, like it's so far removed from anything, you know, but they like give it to you. Here's your granola bar after your sport game. And, and so there's this sort of, and then on the, the reservation, you know, they're like doing these big ceremonies with the animals. People are fat. People have gross teeth. And, and, you know, that's like the whole thing is sort of like open to what your particular vice is in some ways. I don't know. I went in a weird place there, but I, I want to hear from everybody. I, I started reading this book yesterday. It's called Hyperculture by, I think he's Korean. It's a Korean philosopher. He's young. He's still alive. Yeah, that um, name is definitely Korean. Yeah. Jung Chul Han. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I mean, I wish I wish I read more before talking, but just I was just I was just reading the first two pages yesterday, and he was talking about culture and what how culture works in a way, not works, but but point where, where 
I got so far, it's talking about the intervention of the foreign, the intervention of what's not part of a society that reinforces what the society is, or the tribe, or the identity, or whatever. Um, I feel we're getting to the point where we just want to believe, or we try to eradicate the other, when it's really the other that really makes you, right? Like, that it is through the other that you can reaffirm who you are, and you reaffirm your identity, and you reaffirm certain things. Um, but yeah, the Which more other? I think about it, what do you mean the, by other? By, by other, I just mean somebody who's not you. That's it. Like, for right. example... Uh, homo homogeneity shouldn't be the goal. Yeah, exactly. Um, but anyways, just wanted to make that point. Yeah, I but I don't agree with that, though. That, I mean, who you are and... I mean, you, you get to know yourself based on what's reflected back to you by other people, essentially. Well, but it is, it is mainly the principle of, like, there's no black without white. Mm. Right? Like, there's no, you, you cannot yeah. understand what something is what without the opposite. What did say, Alejandro? Like, the, the color, oh, the color, the color, sorry. I'm not talking about people. Just <laughs> the color, the color black and the oh, color gosh. white. Okay. You know, yeah. Well, and there's a very biological basis for this, right? Every cell in your body has a, this is me, this is not me. Like, if we didn't have immune systems, we wouldn't be individuals. We just would be some weird yeah. collective us. That, Language like, works that way. We don't. We yeah. cannot understand things without the... Op like, so the it's, immune it's, system primes self-perception. And so mm -hmm. this idea of what's me and what's not me is quite, you know, it's a part of every, every individual. Yeah, but that's the reason why I think cultures found religion as interesting as they did. Because religion gives you a template and says if you live up to this template then mm -hmm. you are worthy or you are good or you are bad right so well, i love that when you when you leave it to society to basically define who you are based on their own morals mm -hmm. i don't know i don't i don't like that that that's right well that's a, that's that's the whole paradox of choice Right, like, yeah. do we go to the, the tutorialism of whoever is going to tell us what's good and what's right? I mean, that's that's the whole point, right? Like, there's people who's going to be want to be in the matrix. There's, I mean, matrix. I just mean believe what they were to given be to believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, people are fine even when they get out, right? Like in the matrix, we have Cipher, and the character is like the character got out of the matrix, like and he was like, "Fuck this!" Yeah. You know, like this is horrible. So this is too much, like. I'd rather just put back. I don't want to remember anything. Put me back. Give me money. I'll be fine. <laughs> um, because he's very, I mean, his existential anxiety of being alive. Well, in the, that's a in lot the of book, that's Lenina, right? Like, she thinks she wants to go to the reservation. Mm -hmm. And right? then she's like, no, 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 no. Like, put me back. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, well, well there, there's a lot of people who basically look at societies like, the communist societies or mm -hmm. whichever society where there's a government that controls your life. Yes, it, there's a, there, it comes with a sense of security because you get protection from the state once you're obedient. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but also, the yeah. self-responsibility, freedom, comes with a lot of self-responsibility. It comes with... Um, you have to have a tougher skin, a thicker skin. You have to... Um, what you were saying, Alejandro, about... Um, I'm uh, stuck on hyperculture. 
I well, like just I, quickly Googled that and like I saw hyperculture. He, he's a great Cyborg thinker. Cyborg anthropology. I was like, whoa, this is awesome. You know. And I pulled, I found the book and just like, you know, the cost of human speed, I think is mm-hmm. really interesting. He, he's very big on, on, he has a book called The, Soci- the Burnout Society and something like that. But going back to you, Donovan, um, what was I, I mean, I was saying about the Matrix, like there's people who just choose right. not to not to leave right. the matrix and stuff yeah right so there's some people who would choose to stay security or the, the comfort of right having their lives managed by someone else yeah over having to be free but putting up with the harsh reality that comes with being free because if you allow someone else to manage your life oh, man. you see this in learning easier. it's uncomfortable to be uncomfortable so it's like unnatural to us. And, but that's where, as we know, like from a, you know, education standpoint, like that's where growth is. Like we can see ourselves, the more we can entertain this uncertainty and hold it and be curious about it, the more we advance in whatever we may be experiencing. But in terms of societal, you know, let's go, it, it really does circle back to like tribal dynamics. You know, everyone belongs to everyone. I'm not going to put myself at risk. I want to like stay with the tribe and like contribute to something greater than myself and not really risk the uncertainty until, you know, as we later see like explorers or, you know, travelers, honestly, the seafaring that took place on just incredible like bravery, but maybe that's also an argument to the counter, right? Like we have to be uncomfortable in order to progress. And by choosing comfort, we are holding us and our society back. And also, we don't even have to go as far as thinking we are giving ourselves up to a dictatorship in return to, you know, being managed and all of that. I feel like these are decisions we make throughout our life. It's the difference between wanting a job and starting your business. It's, it's you, you always are trading your level of freedom and your level of autonomy in return for something like... The, the fact that your check will land in your bank account at the start of the month might be worth giving up a part, a portion of uh, uh, the freedom that comes like, with running your like own business. Like the extra business. surplus and all of that, giving it up to the entrepreneur and, you know, all of that. For consistency. And, and also even, yeah. even for consistency. And that is security, right? I mean, what do you want well, consistency for if not for security? And even in things like even things like the very choice of deciding to have a partner, deciding to have a family. In, in all of these, you can just be single. You can just be by yourself. Oh, you I can think that's so not interesting. Yeah. start a family ever. You will keep all of your freedom. But the you cost of keeping your freedom could also be enormous at times, depending on what the preferences are. Yeah, Kat. I'm so sorry. Yeah, no, I, I, you can't fault someone for choosing comfort, right? Like for choosing yeah. security, for choosing safety. Like, so if we can't place yeah. that fault or if there is a fault at all, then is morality really playing a role in this relationship and this choice? Well, I think it's, it's, it's like that thing, right? Yeah. It's like that. Uh, I don't know how, if you guys are Game of Thrones nerds or not. It's, it's like that thing where Jon Snow is trying to escape from Castle Black and Aemon Targaryen says, uh, what is duty? compared to a woman's love and then he has that voice compared to the feel of a newborn son's touch and all of that he talks about family and all of that what is that compared to duty and then he says love 
is the death of duty and then there's like this whole monologue and he's at this place where he has to choose whether he breaks his oath and goes and saves saves his brother or watches his brother potentially die by sticking to his oath so so it's it's not as it's not as simple a choice it's well, not freedom and like the ability to do whatever is not exactly to be put as much on, on a pedestal as the extreme version suggests because and you I, always trade that in for something else i think it comes back actually to for our listeners this the, you, these episodes won't be referenceable because they were before we were recording but we have talked about anti fragile and like even sir ken robinson's you know sort of are we killing our schools killing creativity both sort of speak to the um you know if you go to a public you know or go to any school that is sort of traditional you're going to be fed a very particular narrative which will probably encourage you to get a university degree and either work at the university or work for somebody else and so you know this is a very particular narrative and you know the anti-fragile argument would say it makes you more fragile to have your livelihood dependent on somebody else and you know we my husband Adam both had owned a restaurant and then went to work for somebody else after he owned the restaurant. And he said, I just can't like, I'll never be able to work for anybody again because just the idea that they could fire me is like, I I can't deal with that. Like now that I've seen the other side and like been in charge of the decisions. And so I do think that there's, you know, I don't think we should vilify one or the other, but there's a very particular awareness of what the trade-offs are that I think people don't talk about. And that that I think would be really refreshing to sort of have it be more of a cognizant choice, regardless of the one that suits you, um, rather than sort of defaulting into the narrative. So I would say that this is a change of perspective for me, because for most of my life, I've always thought of people who sacrificed their freedom for safety, security, as being weak. And... uh, I think that if you have a nation of weak people, as in people who lack the confidence to believe that they can survive on their own, or, you know, who, as Vicar talked about businesses, who probably, a lot lot of the reason why people don't choose to start their own businesses is because of the fear that they might fail or whatever it is. And I think thinking about it in, I mean, from the points that you guys made, yeah, I, 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 what, what I'd say reinforces for me is the, the belief that no one should get to choose the life that someone else is, that someone else gets to live. And if there are some people who choose security, I, I can say I appreciate those people more now. My only problem with them is that when, the, when they choose security, they tend to design a figure that can manage their lives for them. And then they give that mo- their money to that entity, which becomes so powerful to the point where that entity rules over everyone, not just the group who wants them to lead them, but they want to bring everyone in and lead over everyone. And so I would have no problem with people being in favor of big government, everything, welfare, all of that, as long as they did it in their own pool. Like you want all government stuff go have your big government 
but leave people who don't want that alone to live their lives in a way that they see fit. I, I don't think I don't think that that option exists. I think well, that that's where that's where the connection comes, and that's why one team is always opposed to the other, because what this team is looking for always tends to infringe on mm -hmm, the life that other they're... people want to live. I think and also we're working on. So, sorry, just just to add something, some 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 hope for for the ideal, the ideal separation of choices, right? Like, do you want do you want to live in one or the other? Um, there's these projects uh, happening right now that are called smart cities, and these are like right now I've heard of here in Mexico. There's a very unique, like small town called. Um, Valkyrico it's called it's, it's a very small cat you should go and check it out it's very cool anyway so people pe Valkyrico is the name so what they're trying to do is that uh, using uh, blockchain so, like technology yeah contracts using, using blockchain technology they're trying to create their own city where there's no quite a government or one person right that is like oh I'll make all the decisions but actually you know where like any smart contract and the way blockchain works where decisions are not left to just one individual not even individuals it's actually for by machines and things need to be approved by a consensus um, and there needs to be traceability and all the benefits of that I am very hopeful about those stuff like I do I mean it is not that easy to enter because you need to put money and capital and it's not that easy yes yet. so it is still you know not as there are a couple of particular things I actually want to bring this back to the book too, because I think, so when the pandemic, when we moved to California, we joined a learning pod um, and it was magical. It was like 12 families, maybe eight families, 12 kids, two teachers. It was very expensive and we never used masks. The kids never social distanced mm -hmm. because we replaced like bureaucracy with with clear communication. If somebody had a nanny with a fever, they would put it on the like text feed and we would decide as a group. And we said, we'd always go with whoever has the most conservative comfort level. And everybody said, sure. If somebody was like, no, I'd rather you didn't come because of X, Y, Z, the person wouldn't feel personally hurt. And we would just do that. It worked beautifully. But what you need there that doesn't exist unless the government imposes it is a certain amount of buy-in and like cultural homogeneity. And I think that's why places like Norway did okay during the pandemic because there's less diversity and sort of yeah. feeling controlled versus not. And places yeah. like the United States, it was a crapshoot because people have such different levels of buy-in. And yeah. so the smart city, you have to like apply, right? Like, so there's like, you, you purchase a membership essentially. And so it works quite well because you've been selected and sort of pre-vetted. And in some ways, that's what that's what I'm sensing the trade-off, though, right? Like a pretty glaring one. Like, do I want to be in a hom like homogeneous community? Mm -hmm. like, homogeneous. Homogeneous. Yeah. Thank you. I'm like, I know that's not the word. Um, that really makes me kind of like sad because then again, like you have the choice to enter that community, but within but the community, you don't have that much choice. It's usually safer because I we we dealt with this as like. When we were looking for a neighborhood, you can go diversity, but there's usually higher crime rates. Not necessarily, you know, for lots of reasons. You can, you know, so so there are there's always the trade-off. 
what I feel sad that more people don't are just transparent about it. Like, like, because in a homogenous society, you know, most people do let their kids like run around in the streets without watching them because sort of there's a larger collective that, as Donovan said, like you would, you would probably make a government system with these people because your value systems are in alignment and you know that nobody would pull the system down by not participating. But here's, in the, it. here's the, here's the tricky part about that argument though, is that it's homogenous and safe at the top, but is it homogenous and safe at the bottom? It is. Because what if they're all from marginalized communities, which already have war crime, and there's it's a, just that marginalized community? I think there's a different kind of safety them. though. There's a, there's like a, a um, I don't know. The word is consistency in your society, where even if your society isn't safe, you know you're in a society with other people who play by the same like, rules. You, exactly. You know the rules that of your society. That doesn't make it more safe, though. It just it just makes it makes you, it more yeah. predictable. And if it's more predictable, then you can prepare yeah. for it psychologically and physically. Okay. Here's here's the reason I make this point is. Because the point is true. I'm not refuting it. The point is true, of course, homogenous and given your surroundings, it's your experience and all of that. The reason it's, it's very problematic is that saying me staying with my community is safer for me is one thing. But saying homogeneity helps you keep away crime is very problematic because homogeneity keeps, keeps away crime for affluent people mm. for people in ethnicities who do well and people for whom things work out better in general Thank but if you. you're in yeah thanks for calling me out on that underprivileged that is... yeah no I, i'm just i just no don't it's want... important yeah i just so when, yeah, when we say for me um... if i for example in i'll take my example i am upper caste okay and you can expect people right from my caste to at least be lower middle class at the worst in general so if i homogenized with my group most of us would have a job and all of that but if i took someone some other you know particular uh, you know group of people and then who might not have jobs who might have more crime rate and like you know history of crime and i homogenize them it's not safe for them that's all i'm saying so homogeneity doesn't give you Safety. How would you how would you You're homogenize them? in the hierarchy. How would you homogenize Just all them? of them with their own cast? Right, you put them as the say gammas. You stay in your area. Yeah, put all the gammas together. I'm so sorry for calling them that. Just to so so what is giving you safety is your standing on the social hierarchy and not necessarily like even me in this case. What is keeping me safe? Like I go home at two o'clock. It's not that India is safe. I can afford to live in a neighborhood that has paved roads and fully lit roads and I have a bike that can go and so, at 100 kilometers per hour if I wanted to and like so if we bring so it back to the different... book like is it worth it to condition and medicate people and then keep them in their like homogenous society okay one second one second homogenous I... society okay if it's, if it's on the same point, let's continue. But I still didn't throw my oh. thought experiment, which Donald oh, yeah. 
Uh, I had another question and then we arrived here. But but Daniel, if it's on the same point, please go ahead. Please go ahead. Because this very much, very much links to what I'm going to ask. No, I'm ready. Let's go. I just wanted to bring it back to the book, but I'm happy to jump into like some crazy pushback. Oh, no, no. This is very much about the book. This is very much about the book, right? Let's go, Vicky. So, <laughs> oh, no. Oh, here goes my future in, a, in politics, which is never happening anyways. So I wanted to talk about this idea of you know how these people are classified into alphas and betas and you know gammas and epsilons and whatnot. Say they're all liberated, and now they all can marry, make babies, you know, get jobs and whatnot. So now, what is the implication for people who live with groups of betas and gammas and all of that? And does the society, one, have a responsibility to make it easier for gammas and epsilons to be able to apply to the jobs and opportunities that alphas have? And to try to, because we have to understand that alphas have always been at the top. And this is for every society. I'm not, I am not pointing to anything. This is, again, I mean, obviously in but by society, of course, this is happening and whatnot. But I'm not talking about a specific society. In general, one, does the society have any responsibility to have them have better access to opportunities? Because alphas obviously have the education, the resources, and they're all alphas and they're going to... Alphas don't? What, what is well, I was just going to point out, if we're going specifically into the novel, um, there's no knowledge, right? Like, right. There's no knowledge, like there's no books. There's no school. There's no books, there's no knowledge, like alphas are just... What about all that he works in this in this level and then he's like doing fancy jobs? But those, those I guess those are the rulers, They're those are like the controllers, the, but it's the not the alphas. Right, the alphas just um, get to do more glamorous jobs, but I also want to point out they are enslaved. You said they're liberated. But the society has... Oh, no, no, no. He's entertaining the... No, no, that's why... That's the thought experiment. But from the book, how would that happen? I think you would almost need to, like, like liberate the reservations to integrate into the regular society because these people have been so conditioned that they're not... Even if the government shut down, they would never marry or have a baby. Aha! Exactly. Okay. Okay. Okay? Hold on to that. That is is where shit's going to hit the fan. Right? So now... Now, what is going to happen? They're not going to intermarry, right? So now, the people who have been doing the fancy jobs, the knowledge of the fancy jobs is locked within their social class. So if you're a gamma and you want to have an alpha job where you sit at the top of the tower and write news news articles and live your life and all of that, you don't have knowledge of that because it is an alpha job. It is alphas are the only ones who have access to that knowledge. However, they get the knowledge that you have is that it looks terribly exhausting and they work so hard. I would never want to do that. (laughs) So So, I think what you're getting at is like specifically will not do it. But it's it's no no. I'm not even saying that particular one. Say you want to do a beta's job or something else. For sure. No, what you're saying though is like if those structures that are put in place, the authority, you know the the, um, you know, accountability or whatever, that structure that's actually initiating this caste system, yeah. if that was gone, things would really wouldn't change too much because they'd already been so conditioned that they would respect these no longer enforced boundaries. 
right? And, and also no one wants to, quote unquote, marry down. Right. I think right? the biggest thing that would happen, are we assuming that the Soma production halts? Because uh, I think that would actually be the bigger problem of, is yes, emotional contention, not necessarily social mobility. Okay, now the question one is, if we're, if we're creating a new order, is there any responsibility for us to help gain access to what the alphas and betas have or whatever, or say the gammas have the better jobs, if, if that is your idea, if you think alpha jobs are better, uh, are worse and you know, you would rather be, you know, herding sheep or whatever, say, but access, right? Is there any responsibility for society? And even if liberated, does it mean that, even if liberated, does it mean that gammas and alphas Mm. Okay, first, I, let's tackle I just the first question. Push back a little bit, Vidya, yeah. because I think yes, we're getting please. into to, like the thought experiment is getting into territory that becomes a little bit, I don't want to say impossible, but difficult to articulate because we simply just don't have the vocab or the yeah. usage of our like understanding of a world without government, right? Like that is something that's, yeah. really, are we talking about our like anarchy or like what would happen? We don't really, are we a hunter gatherer? Like what do we resort? It could, like, I think that a little bit of an impossible question. Well, maybe it's also a thought experiment. So it's like, what's in our creativity? But I was going to say this to add to the thought experiment. Like, are they liberated or did they revolt? Right? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm thinking a lot about the American I mean, we, it wouldn't really be right? a collapse because yeah. they're not performing hmm. daily functions. They're just... Yeah, all it, organization it, would be lost. Because, for example, thinking—I mean, I'm a big fan of Hamilton, <laughs> like the the like big fan. <laughs> you have no idea. Um, so I'm really thinking about it. Like, okay, this like taking that you know piece of history of them. Because you're asking like, is society responsible for anything? And society meaning a body of humans uh, working towards whatever. The answer um, is always no to that, though. Well, I, I mean, but I guess it, it, it depends on where they liberated. Like, the controllers got tired and it's like, ah, fuck them, and they shoot themselves, and all of a sudden, they, it's like God is gone. Now that there's no God telling and enforcing anything, like, what do we do? Or did they revolt against the whole system? Right? Because if they revolt, really I guess they will. Yeah, mm. because then one is like self-motivated, the other is just gonna like end up with people like wandering around in the take, streets. Take both routes. Take both routes. Which which is more mm. appealing to you? Bo Pick one both and routes, make your point. Both routes, in my opinion, ends like this: you have people mm -hmm. in their different groups. Women from each group will want men above their own station, and what will disturb the whole balance is that women oh. always want men above their group. And so eventually the groups will become mixed. Hold up. But some of the greatest love stories that we know today are women of upper class marrying men from lower class. Like think of Aladdin. Think of Romeo Maybe, and Juliet. But those, are think the, of, those, are the, those are the off situations and the fairy tales in Disney. In reality, no, women Shakespeare though too. Want like, men I think it's equal. Or it's hard to say. Their, You're just everyone like wants above. Saying the word men women and women like want it's above. like a single entity. There are women who like that and there are women who like the bad boy. They want the one who's like, yeah, right. Like men don't necessarily want to marry no down. Job. And yet, 
with no job. There are women that Wait, women want to marry that guy? <laughs> where thing. are they? I mean, I need well, one of them. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I when I married Adam, he had no job. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, but but I'm just saying though. Generally speaking, I believe that the, you're saying that the groups may stay how they are, as in everyone is already comfortable in their group and they may stay that way. I think that the groups eventually will mix. Well, they don't really specify. Did they specify that they um, only fraternize within their same caste? Because they're not actually. Yeah. Oh, they, they don't do, have. They, they do. don't have contact with each yeah. other. Yeah. Okay. Right. They know yeah, about yeah. them, but they don't have contact with. So and maybe, I, yeah. maybe all the, the maybe all the groups at the bottom will obviously desire the groups at the top because the groups at the top are well, designed. All the groups at the bottom, like ninety six of the same individual. But why would the groups at the top want to marry the ones at the bottom? Oh, are you kidding me? And well, lose. love, my childish heart goes, but Maybe. also like rebellion, like family rebellion. They're, yeah, but these are like... Okay, okay. No, no, no. No, no, no. I'm not saying they won't, but will it be significant enough to mix them up? I mean, 2%, I'll, I'll give it to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 2% it's marginal, love. That's a sure. lot of love, I mean. And in the book, though, <laughs> the like lower level has like brain damage and are like clones of each other. This is a very particular situation. That's okay. That's okay mm. for some people. That's okay for some people. What happens at the top too? If you like, you know, you're talking about like inter, like That's okay nepotism and like a no. I mean, when, it, when I was in neuroscience, probably the smartest postdoc in the program. She was brilliant. Her husband was a truck driver, and I never understood. Like, she had she was like this brilliant neuroscientist, and she loved like, and they like had a thing. I don't know if it was like mostly physical, but like, I don't know. So, yeah, it happens. There's all sorts of relationships. So, I know that in the society as it is right now, with Soma, it pacifies your desires. So, if you want something that you can't have, you take the Soma and it makes you comfortable with whatever situation that you have. But let's say that they're not on as much Soma as they used to be. You're going to commit suicide? There will be some... Yes. There will be. Yeah. There will or, be. I, I don't know if that's true. I don't well, know if that's true. No, they're ill-equipped. They have no. They've never in their lives dealt yeah. with even one decision that had an outcome that they didn't want. So I agree. They're absolutely going to commit suicide. But in a way, that's their great commonality. That's like the through line between all these cats. This is the problem with Harvard, right? You've never gotten a B and you get to Harvard. And that's why Harvard has like a suicide rate issue. Like nobody so has dealt with failure. If the higher structure just all of a sudden decided to stop Soma for all castes, would there be a collective rebellion? Would we see actually a unity with a common goal? Rebellion? I think there would just be like people not working. You don't think they would like riot and like protest? What are they rioting against? Not having Soma? That they're not getting Soma. Yeah. So, but what, we don't know the half-life of Soma. So let's, let's, let's make up that like half of them kill themselves and the other half have like figured out how to live without it i'm not yeah, sure maybe. like what else they're rioting against maybe or maybe the the group at the top will just enslave the group at the bottom because the group at the bottom they're, they're yeah that's they're probably true but, but i think i think style. all of them all of, i mean it will be hard to enslave them in my opinion because none of them have knowledge it, it no. this is not a traditional the top is the most bourgeois and the bottom is the peasants. No, like all of them are stupid as fuck because I would, no I would say, I would say knowledge is still relative because the fact <laughs> is that they still have 
better high more high functioning brains yeah. than well, the people at the bottom. The and so they will still learn that's and true. adapt yeah. faster and still the the, the, the the knowledge gap is still sufficient enough that are it gives we, them an advantage in every situation. Yeah. Are we I it mean, sounds like I we're mean. making a dangerous assumption though that humans have a proclivity to slavery. I think that's a dangerous <laughs> human beings have a proclivity to comfort. And so because we desire comfort, slavery may be inevitable. Because slavery wasn't a thing because we're just evil people. Slavery became a thing because there's a utility to slavery. It allows us to get our work done without having to do it ourselves. Beyond, beyond the utility. So. No, if, if, even beyond the utility, I think this is, this is a natural selection stuff. I mean, think about it. I mean, slavery, we know today that is bad. No doubt about it. But in a way, before we articulated that word in the first place, uh, or start seeing the world through those concepts, I mean, the whole, the whole Latin America pre-Hispanic uh, story. So is this comes that. back to like a morality question then. Yeah, but sleep. I love how so my bad. question was. I love how my question so was. Good. We are liberating and moving towards a new world order. I told you shit would hit the fan, right? So <laughs> how we go towards a new world order? And the two answers I got was like, Donald is like, oh, women will marry everyone above and it'll mix. And the other one we had is they're going to enslave. This is like we are going in some wild, but yes. On to the next, keep, you know, the going. next possible but, but book. I, my question, my, my question still remains is that if we were trying to create, because, because like, like the point someone made about not, not much is going to change. People are still going to keep marrying, which is one of the points someone else made at the start. And like, if we want to want to move out of this system and come to a place which is where people act, have actual social mobility, what could be possibly done? Like, like because we acknowledge that it is going to stay the same. What, what, if, they, how, if people just yeah, sorry, Daniel. No, just like because like we they have the controllers, right? This very, like, there's, like, two or three people per city who actually know the level of manipulation. And so I think, I don't know that that much social mobility is actually going to happen because, as, you know, Alejandro said, like, the lack of knowledge, the lack of even, like, awareness of possibility. I think it would be more like, like, stupor, like, just, like, okay, I'm, I don't have any soma anymore, so there'll be, like, a huge wave of, withdrawal and acting out about that then i think there would be some like promiscuity between the classes because that's the one thing we know makes us feel better and then <laughs> i think there would just be like i don't think it would be very energetic because they haven't made any decisions ever in their lives that have been self-authored might but quite possibly devolve into tribal hunter-gatherer no, like. for sure but here's something interesting there's gonna be it might not new... be so bad given that state but here, there's yeah. going to be an... If they start mating with each other, there's going to be a new type of human, which Wait, are they be, still giving out contraceptives? Well, who knows, right? But but let's... I mean, like any uncontrolled system, there's always going to be outliers, and those outliers are going to start procreating, right? Like, mm. a new version of humans that are not generically designed. Like, these are actual traditional humans. Um, so... I think those will be the ones who eventually, after a lot of years, will design a new, brave new world, right? Um, Ooh, 
okay. Why so, though? What makes them? Because that's like saying a baby made of two races of people is better than one race. No, no, like, but but the, the, but the only reason is because remember these are not. Let's, for example, these are genetically altered. Yes, like, yeah. like these are not traditional humans, right? Like intentionally as said, mutated. Exactly, like the the epsilons are. But what makes are, these babies better, though? It's not that they're better; they're, they're just different to the exactly, like the randomness of stuff, so right? Like I when think you what you're saying is like the yeah. first generation would have that clarity to become like this brave new world of like yeah. you know countering the, the structure that was in place for all these caste systems. Right. And, and, and I, I mean, think it would be quite ugly, honestly, like with them, like having children, having no idea of what any sort of like natural rhythm. I think like. there's a way we could relate this to like in a modern perspective, like how technology in a way has enabled people from all over to connect from all over and kind of like the sense of globalization that we're experiencing, or just, let's say just like, the internet, right? Like that interconnectedness is kind of cross-pollinating our world in a way that we've never seen before. And now we're kind of entering the second generation of grappling with that power and access. Do y'all see parallels between kind of like the thought experiment that Vikat's posing with like just this intermingling of class, I guess that. Well, where have we seen this before? It was, um, I feel like maybe Egyptian society was super caste-like. They just sort of collapsed. Wait, though. this is the story of all societies. What yeah, like saying? ancient Greece, for sure. This is every society, right? Every society has people who have had a lot of wealth and uh, disproportionately higher and people who kept intermarrying on the margins of society so they don't control as much wealth and opportunity. I mean, it's not as wild, but it's the story of every society. You can pick any country and you'd find the story... This is just an extreme version. The reason I ask this is not to point out that any one particular society is doing it or not. My, because my thing is that once they've become free, the assumption is that everyone is free, everyone can pursue their life as they want, right? But for the ones at the bottom, they might be stuck for far longer. So there is no real freedom till they have access to the kind of knowledge and uh, opportunities that the alphas have. And so I just, I'm, because the answer might be no. Yeah, everyone just, you know, that's life, c'est la vie. And then it's just, just they, go on, everyone. Oof, I mean, this could be but or, 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 or is the thought that, oh yeah, this is, not, this is not actually helping because, you know, we don't know if the alphas are the best people for the job. Maybe, or like, or like whatever it is, right? It's just... so. The thought experiment is more about that for me. I'm yeah, gonna sorry, Daniel. Something super judgmental. Let's go. And I want everybody oh, to no. check me my on my Felix. perspective. Um, but I don't feel like access alone creates like people aren't interested. Like there's a you know like like this book club, for instance. You know, not everybody, we had lots of people who, like, stopped by and they, like, weren't interested in, like, the rabbit holes that we all go down. And so I think when you're talking about giving people access to particular kinds of knowledge, some people just aren't, like, that doesn't resonate with them. And I don't know if it's, like, obviously in the Brave New World example, it would be because their their cognitive capacity, I think, would be, like, just not equipped. Um, 
but like meta problems are something that like like I've had trouble finding friends in this little town because nobody thinks about anything except for like what they need to get at Walmart. That's a hyperbolic statement. I'm sure there are people here who think about more than that, but you know there is like. I think what you're saying is... When this podcast becomes famous, we know where you won't be popular, Daniel. (laughs) I'm already not popular. I don't think anybody knows where I live anymore. Um, I never leave my house. So yeah, this idea that that simply by saying, I'm going to do it, you can go to college. Does that mean that like you'll actually want to take accounting classes and anthropology classes? Or is it because you think it's something that will get you money? I think it's a very interesting question because the idea of just opening the gates to knowledge, like there are libraries everywhere. People don't use them. That doesn't mean that the knowledge isn't available. But there's a difference. Isn't that, isn't there a difference between not wanting to go and not at all having the option to go? It's the intentionality. But what I'm saying is that like libraries are free. And a lot of people don't use them. Daniel, here's the thing about the library's argument is that just having a library without an education that trains you for it of a very good class, it's very hard to take knowledge out of a library. It's not. Yes, it can be done. I'm not saying it can't be done. But But why isn't it interesting? And I know it has to do with parenting. It has to do with framing things out as relevant. Yeah. Yes. yes, that's a, that's a, you know, it's a, that, that is a parallel discussion. It's just, it's just, the thing is that saying that there is a, there's a big difference between having the money to go to accounting class and not going to it and not at all having the money in the first place to offer an accounting class. Those are two very different problems, right? So, and also when we, I'm, I'm also functioning on the assumption that once the gamas are suppo- allowed to marry and all of that, they are not going to stop uh the oxygen for their children's at a certain po- children at a certain point and like they're going to come to a cognitive average or something something of the sort so i it's yes people might not be interested but people should have the choice at least to not be interested right right you can't have one class of people yeah, you just said of, it, Vicky. Yeah. That's what how Danielle was trying to answer your question. I think it was revolving this idea of choice. And what the way she was approaching the libraries was as kind of like a, a, a unifying factor. It shouldn't depend on your income. You still have a choice, even if, you know, we're still considering like the standard of living in an American perspective is still very, very much above the average standard of living across the world. Keeping sure. that in mind. But so access to libraries is a privilege. But Thank you. I think, um, yeah. So uh, what she was saying is that, you know, a little bit maybe about education and the way you're being brought up is certainly important, but it also becomes problematic if you have a choice to go to college. It's the framing of, oh, am I just taking this class because it's going to make me money? Or am I taking this class out of genuine curiosity? Which would be the answer that would drive anyone to go to a library just regardless of their means, um, is out of genuine curiosity. And so I think that intentionality is really important. Yeah, and, and one other point that that I want to bring up with respect to what, what you said, and um, and it's not that I, I disagree with any of this. I'm just I'm just putting it in into perspective from, from my perspective. And like the point you said about 
the right kind of parenting and the right kind of guidance, right? When you when you just look at alphas and when you look at gammas, even from a parenting perspective, gammas might not get the same kind of parenting that alphas get. It's a, sure. it's like they can have alphas can have the access to the same library that gammas have, but it's not the same world that they approach that library in. I'm not saying any of this is right or wrong. Like I'm not saying it is. Oh, but it, it certainly existed. But that that was actually the point I was trying to make is that if right. your family doesn't say that libraries are rele- you know, relevant or valuable, when you go in there, you're going to be bored. The university I work for, our library has been changed to primarily like digital library with more just like meeting space. And we're also short on space in general. So some of them are being converted to classrooms, but that's besides the point. And I mean, just to also like really keep this sense of privilege in mind, people of lower socioeconomic backgrounds don't have a choice because they have to work or like they would love to take their kids to a library. So there, 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 there are two main factors to any it's form sticky. of it's, I mean, it's... achievement in society. They're environmental and then they're genetic. Environmental factors have to do with your family and having access to libraries, as Daniel will put it, and having access to resources doesn't negate the genetic factors in terms of IQ and your ability to learn. In the book where different groups have different cognitive capacities, even though, as Vikyat is saying, will we give people access to certain things? I think a part of it is that whether they have access or not, there will still be a difference because each group still have different cognitive capabilities. And so there will still be... The success will still vary, I guess, in the group to some extent. But... Yeah, those two factors in terms of environment being the largest factor when it comes to success or genetic, which one is the biggest part there? That's that's been a long that's that's been a long-standing debate about which one is more important. And No, I think that he, he actually I think it, it's quite on point. It's that there's I mean people who have a particular level of interest are going to create that in their home. And we're talking about parenting, right? So, but again, like to go back to your thought experiment, the first generation of, of children, like the parenting is going to be like non-existent, right? They haven't been parented. Parenting, like I hear my mother's voice in my head way more often than I'd like to admit. And I like say things that she said to me that I like, because that happens. <laughs> and so if you haven't been parented, I can't imagine what the process of like, like not knowing what to do with a child would be like. Yeah, but I think that the parenting factor, in, in as it pertains to this story, I do believe that the parenting factor would be equal across the board. Yes. As in, I don't think any group would be better parents than be another an group. an equivalent disaster. Because, because none of them know how to do it. And mm. so it, that would be equivalent in terms or of the environment. even deal with like the mess. Birthing is messy. Like children are disgusting. Like just as far as like secretions. And, like, I think that that alone would be a disaster for, like, this particular community. Oh, sweetie pie. (laughs) Sorry, Monty just told me that I'm being rude. (laughs) Well, yeah. I think this is interesting. Sorry, go ahead, Donovan. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, Kat. Oh, I just want to, in a way, it aligns and also contradicts what you said earlier 
the, yeah, the Game of Thrones quote, like, love is the death of duty. I thought that was beautiful. And of course, it's Game of Thrones that it's like, you know, to be top equality. But anyways, like, the question of parenting gets tricky. Full disclosure, me not being a parent, you know, but, you know, having been a kid with parents, I can sit here and say, like, my parents weren't like other parents. And I don't think other parents were necessarily like other parents as well. Like, right? Like, being a parent is a very, like, unique relationship. And by no means, I don't know, like, that's a tricky topic. Like, how to parent. Oh, my God. Like, the endless question of, like, self-help books and, like, right? Yeah. So, like, but I think the commonality is, like, would each class, like, know instinctively how to parent through this experience no. of love? The, through, so Even once they learn to love and, like, what that could be. I will think that, say... I. I'm going to chime in on this. Are we talking about Brave New World or are we talking about like real people? We're still talking about... Let's stick with Brave New World. His experiment. Children um, are a particular challenge because I, I don't know how or why it works like this, but they reflect back to you the thing you least like about yourself. It is like uncanny and it is so that's why parents like become unhinged and like whack their kids because it is like this weird like thing that you could like never I, I don't even know how to explain it um and so I think especially in the lower ranks the ones that have like no cognitive capacity for things like that I do think it could be quite different and I agree Vic out with your like thing about vocabulary and and also like what is important in particular, like you're naturally gonna going to um, sort of create an environment that is reflective of your lifestyle. Um, and so the ones that got shocked when they saw books and roses are not going to engender a love of nature. And I, I it's so, it would be so curious. Yeah. So, Great thought experiment, but I had I had one question that that I wanted to ask before we end because we're over time already. So the last question that I wanted to ask is that I noticed that throughout the book, um, he went into you know speaking in terms of replacing God with Henry Ford. In, instead of the cross, they used the T. Um, their solid their solidarity group had twelve members. I don't know if that's supposed to relate it. To be related to, to Jesus and his disciples or whatever it is. Um, they sung at the solidarity group, they sung hymns or chants and things, and uh, they had a dance and uh, they had a tribal practice, which is the orgy or whatever it is. And they that's what they had in the civilized nation. And then in the other group, the wild people had the lashing and the beating and the blood and all of that. Is it is it is it like a thing that each society, each culture needs that anchor. Like we need to have something that we believe in outside of just, hey, we are here, we're just a society, we're just a group. Do we need those overarching beliefs of tradition and rituals and stuff like that to actually, is there I, a reason behind it? I think they're quite grounding. I don't know. I, I don't know. So, yeah, I think... It's really interesting. History uh, would say yes. Like, yeah. Right? Like and every civilization has this kind of existential answer. We and don't really right need... now, at least in the U.S., we're sort of in a place. It's funny. 
you know, what, God, 20 years ago, more than that, 25 years ago, when I was a freshman in university, I took this class called Religion and Society. I thought it was going to be like a survey class about religion, um, like organized religion. It, it wasn't. It was like what we hold as a common ethos. We read Jurassic Park as part of the curriculum. Because, oh, dude, great book. Um, of the, like, fascination with technology and tweaking the natural world. And so... I think right now we're in a place where we have people are going away from, well, actually they're sort of coming back now, but like we have gone away from organized religion in a particular way. Um, and I think there's a flailing that is happening because we haven't replaced it with something that's equally as grounding. Uh, I would say you haven't established something that's equally as grounded, but I think right now America is between religion and government. But, I think, I don't know. Well, I think we also like, have an identity crisis of like individualism versus collectivism, right? I think that like has tribalism. a lot. Like yeah. I mean, even, even if you're in tribes, mm -hmm. there's still common beliefs, right? Like there's still, and I think a lot of where this need comes from is the need for understanding stuff, right? Like, and it's just the nature of being linguistic beings right like meanings and like the interesting aspect of meaning is that meaning can never be exhausted you can never define something you will always have more to say about anything so i think that's like a very implicit need that arrives from being linguistic beings you know uh, because you will always need to believe in specific stuff and come to consensus like you cannot just live in the void all the time and question yourself all the time otherwise you end up suiciding your, like, like, right sorry not suiciding yourself sorry killing yourself <laughs> yeah but so i wonder like what's the role of catharsis yeah. right mm -hmm. like i was wondering like because whether it's meditation or you know like a weekly religious ceremony or you know an orgy <laughs> i guess like would you say that the, yeah. in people in brave new world in the society do they have catharsis or can they experience i mean catharsis? we have bernard he experienced i mean some of these some of these um i think the closest we get to it is through soma but is that really catharsis or numbing Right. Like the or the orgy represents like a particular energetic release. That's true. <laughs> that, you That's know, a very they, good point. it's like a collective like resetting where they all are like, oh yeah, this is what we do. It's so great. This is um, orgasm. That's are what very happens. Cathartic. That's what happens at mass, right? If you go to like a cat, like a Christian mass, like oh, this is what we do. It's so great. Like it's like a reaffirming and a celebrating. Dude, someone's know, like, gonna explain to me way. The, like the sect of Christianity that is speaking in tongues. Like, I don't understand this, but, like, it seems like a cathartic experience for those people, right? Like, <laughs> I guess the question here, just to start wrapping it up and to articulate your question, Donovan, perhaps the question is, like, is that, you know, assuming we need to believe in something, what's the best thing to believe in, right? Like, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like that, if we, that's if we, a whole different question, Alejandro. No, it a, that's is a, a different. Question. Yeah, I know it's, a, but it's related to your question. Take your like, time. <laughs> like in this case, it is the 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 novel is the example of like, oh well, let's. You know, I I found that very playful that decision of Ford. He could have chosen anything, 
anything, literally, in the world, and he chose Henry Ford and efficiency as the main system of beliefs that oh, ruled their whole book behavior. Written in 1931, that definitely makes sense, and I don't think it was no, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Playful, it was very purposeful. Absolutely. I mean, today, for example, I would say, if I would, if I would have, if I were to write a Brave New World type of novel right now, and I needed to choose a system of beliefs that would resemble a very, even more dystopian world based on where we are today, I mean, I would take something about similar to the Hunger Games, right? Like um, how entertainment, very specific entertainment, right? Like it is a coliseum, but on the screen, right? Like it's not even going to the football game anymore. It's about experiences through the screen. Um, but anyways, I guess that, that was just a thought question related to your question of do we need to believe in stuff? Gladiators. Yeah, we will always... There will always be gladiators in some shape or form. Well, I think, you know, what's interesting in in the society is they replace God with Ford, right? And they, they replace the family with an assembly line. But that's not enough. And so they have to add, like, orgies, right? Like, that there's this... Um, but was that part of the religion? And the feelies and... Well, quite I mean, literally, it, each class is a part in the machine, right? Like, right. thinking with this, like, assembly line, like, the gammas, the betas, they're all being constructed so that they can play no, their yeah. part. The casts are basically specialized, right? Well, I was it's, thinking it's more it's about basically the, the assembly like, line. Yeah. I don't think, I think that's more of the totalitarian... <laughs> yeah, like, no, but I think like, <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure you... I mean, it sounds counterintuitive, <laughs> right? We're talking about, exactly. I, 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 talking I, I, about. I, <laughs> so I would say the the main the main thing about uh, it, as far as I can see from what everyone is saying, is that it seems like the system yeah. was designed specifically for slavery, yeah. mm. and efficiency and production is the main goal of it. And if you're a slave, yes, they have to give you some outlets mm -hmm. to release that energy in terms of soma to calm you down, the sex and all of that mm -hmm. to you know as to release that energy. But the main part is how do we keep these people subservient yep. and enslaved and not focused Correct. on the fact that they're enslaved by making them comfortable yep. with their servitude, and not suppressing allowing, their emotions. And not allowing, detaching, yeah, detaching, yeah. Right, detaching them from family and love so that they really have nothing to fight for. There's mm -hmm. nothing that you'd give your life for if you're not attached to anything, no family. Desensitized you know, to death like. itself, right? Like, they're not even... That's where that loss of ownership of your own body, like they don't, they literally see themselves as just a tool in the machine or a, a, a cog yeah. in the machine better. But yeah. Or do you think so, that's so, happening to us now? Oh, yeah. Desensitization to that? No, I think it's the opposite. Uh, people freak out like people. So what I noticed is when my mother-in-law died in 2020, I went out of my way to say like died death like use the words instead of like passed away or we lost her like people don't have a facing into death it's like this very sort of at least in the u.s like lots of makeup like all this like weird you know post-mortem like sprucing so that we don't have to be like oh look like that person's really dead there's a weird and i think that that is why people end up with like depression and like like a weird sense of you know that and so i actually think that the face the death 
I thought that was like not good, but it's something we certainly lack in our society is talking to children about how death is natural. But it's it's understandable because if you make sure that no one can fall in love, essentially love is outlawed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, then you shouldn't be mourning anyone that dies because there's right. no connection there to mm. begin with. I hadn't thought about that. I mean, like it goes in line with like just that lack of family structure, right? Yeah, like exactly what Donovan's saying. Like if you remove and I didn't, yeah, I think he put it really well in terms of like outlawing love, right? Like the expectations that you should be training partners and like never settle down. And just one question that came up was like, how does Brave New World deal with their death? The death we re- reflects a lot uh, on a society on like how they deal with their dead, like what ceremonies, what thought, what preparation. Um, and it would just be, you know, maybe. It seems like they deal with it like an expired product, right? Like, okay, this goes to the trash. Age, and and it's like youth, euthanize yeah. them, right? Yeah. But uh, I don't think they euthanize them, but I think that there's a particular sort of like point at which you can't keep their external facade at a certain point, and so I think they just stop supporting them, and then it's so a pretty like quick decline. Automated euthanasia, like some thing in their brain just goes, okay, bye-bye, like, off, like, just totally, I don't know, very, very. And also, before and before we go, I just want to say, uh, say one point. I know that thought experiment thing was, was like a very weird, vague thing, but I just wanted to hear, because I am, I am always... Good confused about like that question and like and like places in hierarchy and like and stuff like that and and i i'm like aware of like the benefits i have in life and stuff so it's just it's just a it's just something that interests me a lot in especially in the indian context i know it sounds like i'm talking about you know trump and racism and no no but it's very much in an indian context and like my place in society and also if anyone felt bad or even if I was like a little too pushy on any of the points I was making I'm sorry to the people here and the ones listening so yeah I just wanted to say that that's what we do here yes, Donovan. at the Sunken Treasures <laughs> yeah it was perfectly fine um what was I going to say again something about death yeah so so Alejandro said in his comment that I think it is that people need an explanation for whatever happens around you. Why yeah. it is that we are yeah, right and to explain our thing. And um, I think that the fact of it is that because we naturally fear death, right. because our life is, you know, the, the fear it of gives death. meaning to life, yeah. And uh, the fact that life comes with suffering through a variety of forms, whether it's sickness or depression mm-hmm. or different mishappenings whatever everyone's got to pay their dues due to the fact that we have to go through these pains and these suffering i think maybe the point is that we need explanations for Mm. why it is that we go through these things and so we create different meanings that validate what it is that we go through in this life or comforts us about what the next life beyond this one if there is and so I, I do believe that all societies eventually yeah. will make up their own meaning for why it is that we yep. go through the things that we do. And, In my uh, heart of hearts, I genuinely believe civilizations develop religion out of that need for exactly what you're talking about, answering that 
existential question in like seeking relief as opposed to manipulation. And this kind of circles back to what you were talking about when we started, Donovan, like I genuinely believe in my heart of hearts, the origins of religion were not meant to be manipulative, but as we know, like they have become that in a very, when it comes institutionalized. Well, but I think also when we're talking about brave new world and, and getting rid of religion, the other thing that religion, you know, for me coming sort of back to like how I'm creating my own sense of it now, you know, you kind of come all the way around um, is a sense of connectedness to mm. a bigger universe that lacks the restrictions of time and space Love and community. Yeah. And so that doesn't have a place in a society that outlaws connection. Um, but I do think, you know, when my mother-in-law died, Monty was four, I think, um, he was so funny. I we hadn't talked about heaven because I was still like not quite on my, you know, comfortable choosing one religion over another. And he said, she, "I think she's in energy world." And I was like, "Sweet, like that's what we'll call it." Um, and you know, this idea of sort of how do you make sense of it without a lot of external input is also really curious. Without a lot of what? External input, like without a particular <laughs> religious narrative giving you you know, this picture of like, like there's a little girl that came over to visit and she was like, well, God lives in heaven with the golden bookcase and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh my God. Well, I, th- I think that's a lot of what the Greeks and the pre-Hispanic cultures did, right? Like, I mean, back in the day, the explanation for what happened, right? Like nature, the sky, the rain, thunders, they were just given specific figures, right? Like, their gods were the explanation of many things. Yeah. Um, so maybe that, that's, that would be my answer mm-hmm. to that. If I could edit like Descartes real quick, you know, like to think, therefore I am or whatever, I would just add like to think, therefore I am, thus I mean something. Like I think there's a real, you know, in, like personal experience of understanding like why am I here? What What does it mean to be here? And like, as you touched on with like Heidegger, Alejandro was like, just we get to articulate through that through language, right? And like mm-hmm. that is where meaning lies. So beautiful. And for me, I just to 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 cap this off. I just wanna for me, I'll I'll go to sleep peacefully at night, relying on Cat's mom's wisdom of there is nothing new in the world. Whatever new name we give it, oh, someone's yeah. already done it. Some religionist. I was like, parented. I can hear her saying it. <laughs> and for so long, of course, you're like... You can record it and just do like in you brand know, new yeah, world. Like, I'm a child of the 90s. What are you talking about? Like, you never had the internet. You never had a cell phone. Like, silly. Okay, bye. Good stuff, though. All right. Everybody. Until next time. Thanks for joining us, guys. We'll see you next time.